Welcome back to Between the Levees. I'm joined today by Captain Brian Brown. He has run the Patty, the Ryan, and now the Norman for Enterprise Marine. He's been in the industry about 17 years, did a stint with SUNY for four years prior to that. But uh, there were some other companies we were talking about. Who all have you worked for in the industry? So uh, I started out with uh, Kirby Inland Marine. Uh, started out as part of their uh, the first wave of uh, maritime graduates that they brought down from uh, from SUNY uh, back in 06. Uh, I've also worked for uh, Maryland Marine slash Higman, uh, was with them for about three years on the water and then uh, came shoreside as a port captain for eh, just under two years uh, in the office there. Uh, went back on the boats with uh, Buffalo Marine for a couple of years. Uh, doing a lot of bunker work and uh, you know running two barges up to towards the river, which was not uh, as common a thing for them being a, a you know pr predominantly bunker uh, based company. Uh, and then from there, I was offered a position at Harley, which is now Centerline, as a port captain uh, here in uh, in the Houston area. Uh, and then after they had gone through their uh, their round of layoffs and corporate restructuring. Uh, that they had done. Uh, I wound up uh, doing a little bit of trip work for a few months, uh, and then an opportunity opened up at Enterprise. Uh, I was able to uh, uh, be the lucky winner, uh, and that was about seven years ago almost. Has your whole career been on the canal? Uh, in terms of my my waterborne, yeah. I've, I've done all, other than cadet training, uh, everything has been, you know, canal and western rivers. Well, speaking of cadet training at SUNY Maritime, uh, when you were there, was there any sort of focus on brown water? Uh, not, not a big focus on brown water. Uh, most of the people that went to the school went for the four-year degree, uh, which, you know, netted you a, a ship officer's license with unlimited tonnage or for the engineers, you know, the unlimited horsepower. Um, and then, and you also earned a, a bachelor's of science degree or a bachelor's of engineering, uh, for our engineering folks, uh, the there was a two year degree with an associates attached to it, and that would get you uh, a 500 ton license. Uh, and that was kind of the closest they had to the brown water uh, related uh, field, you know, and the, and the 500 ton is the small OSVs, the small harbor tugs. Um, but for the most part, there wasn't really a, a focus on the brown water, uh, the primary driver of the school was and still is the four-year degree. Well, from your perspective about 17 years ago, uh, looking back on it now, do you see a potential need or any interest in adding brown water as we know it on this show to that curriculum? Definitely. I, I really think that our, our mariners, uh, especially the ones who have chosen to do this, you know, from the outset, from, from, from high school. I mean, you know, when you decide you're going to go to New York Maritime, you've decided before your senior year starts typically where you're going to college. Um, and so you've made this commitment and I think the school needs to focus on really on what, what's available for, for industry. I mean, the blue water, uh, the blue water jobs are, are, are very hard to come by. Uh, you know, the, the, the ships, the tankers, the container ships, uh, that's all been, uh, you know, very difficult to, uh, to, to get is it's a shrinking uh, industry on the U S flag line. Uh, however, tugs and towing have really, uh, really kind of taken over. And, uh, you know, with, with tugs and towing, uh, you know, focusing on offshore, uh, tug and barge, uh, ATBs, uh, you know, that's been, been a, a somewhat of the focus uh, of, of some of the schooling, but the brown water, the true inland push boat is not a focus in, in, in these schools. Uh, down here in Houston, uh, San Jacinto Maritime uh, does have that as a focus and they, they do come out, I believe with an associate's degree, it's two-year program uh, where they, you know, the, these uh, you know folks are doing their internships on, you know, push boats, you know, and, and they're really getting an opportunity to see our industry as we know it, uh, you know, not, not from the lens of I'm going to get a ship license and, oh, here's tugs and towing. Let me kind of fall into that. How best, if, you, if there was a, a blank slate and unlimited funds, how best would you say 
that university could contribute to the towboat industry? Oh, they they could do a phenomenal job if they really wanted to, uh, you know, and, and they would need to get, you know, get a small barge, get a, an inland push boat, um, you know, in terms of the unlimited funds. I mean, and, and, and really try to get, uh, you know, alumni who uh, are in this industry. Uh, you know, one of the things that we love doing is, is, is teaching, you know, out here in this industry, you're always looking out for the next person, you know, the person who's ultimately going to, you would hope come up and take your job so you can move up to take the next job in the line. Uh, and so we've always looked at progression. And I think that as an alum, as, you know, as an, as an alumnus of SUNY giving back, uh, you know, by, by educating, by teaching, by providing opportunities, uh, would be, would be fantastic and to be able to teach inland towing at a, at a, at, at that school would be, would be phenomenal. Again, with unlimited funds and uh, uh, you know and whatnot, but honestly, if they were able able to get a hold of an older push boat, and and it doesn't have to be a, a big barge, you know, a thirty by uh, you know thirty foot wide and maybe seventy foot long, you know, just a small little work barge or something, just so you can learn the prac the, the principles of facing up, the principles of maneuvering, uh, would would go a long way to. Uh, preparing the mariners uh and and i think it would open up a lot of opportunities for the school uh you know as as well well speaking of suny maritime alumni i've had a couple on this show um you said you you do know stephanie yeah yeah i know stephanie uh you know as, as we as we say up there you know she's good people uh you know she's a fantastic mariner uh you know worked not with her but i've worked around her uh you know, assisted each other in and out of the fleets when uh, down there in Corpus, uh, uh, you know, a bunch of times, uh, assisted each other on dock. Uh, you know, I know her socially uh, as well, uh, you know, and, and whatnot. But uh, yeah, I mean, there's there are a lot of SUNY graduates, uh, you know, that that are in the inland industry. Uh, my, my college roommate is captain uh, for a boat over at Kirby. One of my best friends was... Uh, also, uh, also is now over at Kirby. He had done some time at, at Higman. And when I saw that, uh, Higman wasn't, uh, wasn't long for this, uh, long for this world anymore as the company was starting to have their own issues and uh, ultimately got bought out. Uh, I drug him along with me to enterprise, uh, and, uh, actually got him uh, on board as my relief captain, uh, on the patty for was about, you know, he was with me for about a year and a half, uh, before you know becoming captain on its own boats uh you know so there's there's a lot of us down here and and you know you you run into suny kids uh, all the time you know you listen for the new york accent uh, on the radio and that kind of uh, kind of clues you in yeah i can imagine there's an interesting accent on that uh that radio on the canal yeah it, it you know it, it's it's very similar to the to to you know the new orleans the, the what they call the yat accent um, it's, it's similar, uh, it doesn't have the French influence to it, but the German influence is very heavy. So there's certain words get pronounced very similarly. Um, uh, so it takes a minute to, you know, someone needs to speak for a good little bit before you're like, oh, okay. Yeah, that person's from new Orleans or, oh, that's, that's, it's one of those Yankees. <laughs> well, let's take some steps, walk through your life up to, and maybe through your time at SUNY. So, uh, where were you born, sir? I'm born and raised on Long Island. Okay. Tell me about your childhood. What, what year would that have been? Uh, so I was born in 84. Uh, I think the, 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 the song, the number one song of the week, or the number one song that week was, I, I believe the Ghostbusters theme. Roger. So that, that doesn't date me a little bit. Uh, and uh, yeah, so I grew up on the North shore of Long Island. Uh, my family moved uh, to a, a place uh, called you know, a little town called Syosset. Uh, you know, up there in the town of Oyster Bay. And I went, uh, you know, went to uh, Catholic school for, uh, you know, for, uh, for four years of elementary, you know, which was really my middle schooling, uh, and then four years of high school. Uh, you know, so I went eight, eight years right there, didn't, didn't have to worry about what I was going to wear to school because it was same thing every day. 
And during uh, one of the guidance counseling classes that we had, uh, they had us take a personality test on the computer. And you answer all these bunch of questions. And one of the things that came, came back uh, with my personality test was, uh, you know, entrepreneur, ship's captain, uh, you know, business leader. It's like, okay, you know, ship's captain, that's kind of cute. You know, I love Star Trek, but, you know, I'm no James T. Kirk. Uh, well, a few months after that, uh, my mom had these, uh, uh, one of these Peterson's college books. I mean, these things are, are like that thick, uh, you know, bigger than the phone book. And it's a listing of every school, all their programs, you know, throughout the whole country. And she, she randomly opens up to uh, this page. And she goes, oh, here's a school for you. And I said, well, what, what school is it? She goes, it's SUNY Maritime. I said, what do they do? She goes, I have no idea, but there's a picture of a ship. And it all started clicking. And I was originally looking at going to school for uh, doing a dual major in computer science and music. Uh, you know, I was a band kid. I was uh, an oboe player, which is not a very common instrument uh, due to the difficulty uh, of, of playing it. It's not, it's not a very common instrument to be seen. Uh, and so I was looking, hoping to kind of get into a school using, you know, a music scholarship or, or something along those lines. And then, you know, piggybacking computer science onto that. And when she randomly opened to the school, opened to everything. And I was like, Oh, you know, maybe there is something to this personality test that I took. Let's go check out the school. Uh, you know, they had a business degree and uh, set foot on campus and it felt like home. It felt like I was on the North shore of long Island, which when you think about it really isn't that far from the Bronx, uh, especially this part of, of the Bronx, you know, Throg's neck. And so I was like, okay, this, this feels right. Uh, we'd looked into the program a little bit more, visited with the school and uh, said, sure, let's do it. And I did my uh, early decision um, for it, which basically meant that they were going to rush your, you, you, you commit to the school if they give you an early decision that says, okay, you know, we're, we're going to get, get back to you sooner. You know, we're going to move you to the, the head of the line and, and whatnot to, for review. And I got my acceptance letter in the beginning of September and literally a few days later was nine 11. Uh, and you know, the school had reached out and said, look, you know, we understand that, you know, you're, you know, while you're not required to be joined the military here, uh, you know, if you are having second thoughts, we're not going to hold you to it. And I said, well, I'm, I'm all in like, this is something that's really interesting to me. Let's, let's do it. Uh, you know, and, and so I, you know, started the summer of 2002, I showed up, my parents helped put my stuff in my room, said, you know, they said goodbye. And, you know, we had uh, what we call, uh, you know, the IDOs, the indoctrination duty officers, uh, and the squad leaders and whatnot, you know, they, they started up and, you know, started yelling at us and telling us to uh, square our corners and stand up straight and, you know, you had to eat a certain way on the mess hall and you had to be quiet. And uh, we did two weeks of marching and, uh, and drills and PT. Then uh, we, you know, our parents showed up for two weeks later and saw us do this big parade and procession. And, you know, and then the actual school year started. Uh, and I'll tell you that my first year was rough. Because you're, you know, when you go to, to a regular school, you're, you know, you're, you're building off of the math, the science, uh, the, the history, everything you've learned in high school and elementary school, you're building on it. Yeah, you're taking it to the next level, but you're building off of something. Well, here you are trying to take terrestrial navigation. You're not building off of much. You know, you might be building a little bit off of trigonometry and a little bit off of algebra, but you're not, you've never had to plot something on, on a chart before and, and find your coordinates. And I struggled with that for, for a little bit until one of my professors came to me and kind of gave me that, that little nugget that, ah, it all clicked for me. Um, and while you're doing all this, you're trying to balance the regiment, you're balancing everything. And while your friends are taking 12 or 13 credits, you know, as your years progress, I mean, at one point I was taking 20, 21 credits. 
uh, you know, and, you know, some of it was, was catch up because of scheduling, uh, just didn't work out with some of the other courses. And so here I am, you know, struggling to, to push through and, you know, I got out of there with, uh, you know, not, not the best GPA, but, you know, as they say, 2.0 and go, but, you know, I was, I think I, I called it 2.3 and free, uh, and, you know, then boom, I entered the workforce uh, and I had to push my uh, my start date with Kirby back because I got hit with a jury duty summons uh, that I had already pushed off once. Uh, so I was like, I, I got I got to you know finish this requirement. Uh, went did my did my day of jury duty. Then, you know, the next week, Kirby was ready to bring me down, got started with them, did my deckhand orientation class and, uh, you know, got on a boat, started training. Uh, trained trained and you know from basically from uh that fall of 02 into or fall of 2006 until uh i got cut loose in august of 07 uh standing my own watch on the old marshall inn uh which was a 1200 horsepower on a good day pushing 230s uh which people today you know guys coming up they they don't see that that uh mismatch horsepower ratio anymore uh you know, they're, they're getting on 1800s and 2000s at a minimum pushing 230s, um, you know, and so I, I really learned boat handling and, and, and how to maneuver and how to plan ahead because I didn't have the power to stop. I, I didn't have the, uh, the horsepower to, and the weight to hold up empties and you, you just, you learn patience, you know, yeah, if you lose it in the wind give it the old try to pick it up a couple of times. But, you know, it's don't, don't keep trying because, you know, just wait, wait for things to die down. Give it a, give it a shot. But after that, there's no sense in it because you're, you're, you're overmatched. Uh, before and, we get, before we get too much into your, into your career on the water, uh, did your parents have anything to do with the industry or was it strictly a personality uh test that guided the rest of your life so far uh no my 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 dad's an OBGYN. my mom's a midwife uh now now fortunately both are retired uh but no this was not in any way maritime was not in any way shape or form uh in the family background uh and and uh, other than going on on cruises for vacation every so often i mean that that was about the extent of being on the water uh so no, no, there's no no family history of of doing that. Well, how did you find your way to Kirby after graduation? So Kirby uh, was was starting to expand. They were getting ready to start. You know, they had they had done uh, a, a, a a large growth program by acquiring all these other small companies. You know, Hollywood Marine and uh, a bunch of other small entities over the the ten years prior, and they were getting ready to start another growth program, but, but building and growing organically this time, uh, building boats and, and whatnot. And they didn't have the manpower, uh, for a green guy to come off the streets to starting his deckhand class to becoming a tankerman, getting through the steersman program. If everything fell right, you were looking at five years and that wasn't fast enough for what their growth needs were. And so they looked at the colleges and they said, well, these folks have already one committed themselves to the industry. You know, they're, they've done four years. They know what the industry is like, at least the general maritime industry is. Uh, I'm sure they figured most of us had some kind of student debt uh, along the way. So we'd be kind of wanting to work to be able to pay that. Uh, but most importantly is we came out with a license, not a towing license, but we didn't need to, go to school and get our uh, towing officer uh, assessment record. Uh, you know, well, we had to get the tour done, but we didn't have to get the apprentice mate uh, courses done because our unlimited tonnage license counted and served as that, that apprentice license. Uh, and so Kirby looked at us and said, all we have to do is show these, these folks, show them the ropes, uh, show them how to throw lines, show them how to deck, and then let them learn the waterways and how to handle the boats. And they had quick start program and that was what they had envisioned. And so they came up to the schools and uh, I was uh, at one of the job fairs in the springtime uh, 
And I was looking around and it was mostly engineering companies there uh, and all the seniors, all the first class, uh, you know, we had to wear our dress uniforms. Everyone else was instructed, you know, to wear their, the regular daily khaki uniforms. And, and even the civilian students that we had at the school, they encouraged them to wear, uh, wear suits for those who are looking for jobs, be as presentable as possible. And I'm looking, looking in the corner and I see, you know, Nassau County police department and FDNY and, uh, some engineering firms, Con Edison's over there, and I get a tap on my shoulder and I turn around and I say, can I help you? Uh, and this gentleman, Kenny Shaver, who, who has uh, since passed, goes, no, but I can help you. I'm like, explain yourself. And so we he brought me over to the booth and we chatted for a couple of minutes and then we went over to the mess hall and had lunch and uh, signed up for an interview the next morning that was supposed to last 30 minutes and went... I think like an hour and 15, which upset the guy who was next in line. But uh, Kenny and I lost track of time. And uh, a couple of weeks later, they came up and uh, a few of my uh, classmates who hadn't ha didn't have the opportunity to interview with them or see what Kirby was about. Uh, I grabbed them and said, hey, Kirby's coming to do an informational meeting. Come down. Let's let's go see what what, what you know, come see what this is about. Um, and Kenny handed me my, my offer letter saying, Hey, you know, we'd like you to come work for us. And, and, uh, so I kind of look at myself as one of the, one of the first, you know, almost patient zero. Uh, and I think out of my graduating class, which was, uh, 120 some odd, uh, students, we had 83 or 84 deck license. And I think 12 or 13 of us came down to work for Kirby. So there was no competition for the job. Because uh, Kirby was looking at expanding that that rapidly, uh, and of course they went up. They went to Mass Maritime and Maine and Great Lakes and Cal and of course A and M, which is right in their backyard. Uh, and you know they also went to Kings Point as well. But uh, I think they're 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 the bulk of the ones that that, that started working for them in 06 uh, into 07 came out of SUNY. What were you least prepared for your time on deck and getting on these towboats? The watch schedule. Honestly, because, you know, on ships you do, there's three rotations. It's, you know, you know, and, and so when we would set our watch schedules up at school, because again, you still have, want to get into that rotation and into that feel, um, you know, you do four hours on eight hours off here, you're doing six and six or seven and five or eight and four, uh, you know, depending on if the captain wanted to do an alternative schedule. And so I think that was kind of the, the thing I was least prepared for. Uh, was the was the differing watch schedules and adjusting to that uh, and then having to switch you know to back watch uh, to cover things uh, and whatnot but uh, uh, in terms of the workload I mean you know chipping and painting we've been we I, I, I tell my wife I said look I I went to college to learn to chip and paint uh, to, you know, dumbing it down a little bit, but I mean, we did that for four years. So chipping and painting, you know, the, the basic deck preventative maintenance was all, you know, secondhand, uh, learning how to handle the cables and wires and stuff. That was, you know, just something to learn. Uh, and then from the boat handling perspective, we were not prepared for, uh, how close you got to the person that you're meeting, uh, you know, and they, they say an inch is as good as a mile. And there are times where, yeah, an inch is as good as a mile. Uh, you know, and, and, and even today, you know, 17 years in, in the chair, there's times where I have to stand up and, you know, put, put, you know, put my whole, my whole self into it to make sure that, you know, yes, we are, we are going to clear and be safe. Well, you mentioned earlier uh, some of the challenges of, shoving i think you said 230ks with an underpowered vessel yeah well which by t today's standards would be considered underpowered back then was uh maybe just just maybe just one step below the average back then uh, what was the horsepower 1200 okay, 1200 well, horsepower on a good day <laughs> tell me about some of the challenges of uh of that gig uh so uh, anytime you had heavy current uh obviously you know if you're going into it you know uh speed would be a uh, uh, be a big factor uh, maneuverability of course going into it's not so bad you know other than just making sure that you're able to get through certain uh, choke points 
and, and whatnot. But if you are were riding the tide, uh, trying to make sure you sl slow down enough to prepare your, your turn and then being able to drive out of it, sometimes you wouldn't be able to steer uh, your turns properly. Uh, and so you almost have to, even with loads, have to plan to crash out, uh, regroup, and then, then continue on. Uh, you know, in the extreme situations, especially after a, a you know major uh, you know front came through or something, and the water was all coming back in. Uh, of course, handling any any winds over uh, you know over uh, over twenty were almost impossible. Uh, if if you were uh, if you had them broadside and you were you know and you lost it, that was that was almost it. You know, the boat was sixty five tons. Uh, you you had no weight to the boat. You had no power. Uh, and you know, when the areas where you had to be strung out with empties, you know, between Calcasieu and the Mississippi river, uh, you know, being strung out there, I mean, 15 miles an hour winds were, you know, were, were considered hellacious. Uh, nowadays, you know, that's almost, it's almost unheard of for uh, 15 mile an hour winds to stop a, a traditional, you know, a, a modern boat now, because most of those boats are 150 tons plus, you know, they're 2000 horsepower uh, and above now is, you know, the average. Uh, so you have more, you have more power, you have more steering capability. Uh, you have more weight to back it up. Did you find yourself in the river during that stand? Yes. Uh, we'd, we'd go to the river once in a while. Uh, not, not, not too often. Uh, so I was cut loose on a run that, that ran up, uh, that ran up the Mermintal River. Uh, and we'd go all the way up to uh, uh, Cross Tex and Jennings. So we'd go up through a, a very narrow railroad bridge and and whatnot. Uh, and we'd, we'd get there, we'd load, and then sometimes we'd take it to Houston. Sometimes we would uh, head over to uh, Shell, uh, Shell T-Bone. I, I don't know if it's still refer to that uh, these days or not, but it's over there by about the 183, 184 uh, area. Uh, and so we'd, we'd go there and you know, we'd get in the fleet, we'd drop one off, go to the dock, trip them back and forth. Uh, Did you find yourself battling uh, high water issues with a 1200 horsepower boat behind two loaded uh, 30Ks? No, l luckily not. Uh, when the water did get too extreme, Kirby would uh, pull their their weaker boats off the river or they would just stick them with one and that's what a lot of companies even to this day will do uh, even my current employer enterprise will will for the most part pull the 1650s uh, which are our small strip our small triple screws they'll pull them off the river with two uh, you know in extreme high water and they they might throw them on there with one uh, or if they are going to give them two it's two loads running north uh, you know for the most part uh, and, and by running north, I mean northbound below Baton Rouge, uh, or if they're coming up through Port Allen or whatnot, you know, they'll you know, send them to Exxon Baton Rouge or something like that. But uh, extreme high water, the 1650s, the smaller boats, you know, would get pulled off. Well, I've worked in an eight-year career for AEP, ACBL, and most recently, currently, Ingram. Uh, I know admittedly very little about most other companies, so... <laughs> If you can walk me through step by step in whatever detail you want to share, uh, tell me about each company you've worked for and your your time with them. Yeah, so so you know, as I said, I was with Kirby for uh, for a couple of years, uh, and I just wound up not 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 being a fit for them, and 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 they for me. Uh, you know, not every program uh, works for everyone. Uh, they were a very large company, and and for some people that's great. For others. Uh, you, the the lack of personalization uh, can can feel uh, daunting, and so I wound up going to uh, Mar at the time Maryland Marine, uh, which was Higman uh, Barge Lines. Uh, they were using the Maryland Marine name after they had uh, uh, busted the uh, busted the union, and they had to wait so much time before they could start using the Higman brand again. Uh, and so while I was there, they they transitioned back to the the Higman brand, uh, and they really let me develop, uh, uh, you know, they didn't bounce me around. Uh, you know, they, they really let me develop my skill set. Uh, and they told me when you're ready to jump to another boat, let us know. Uh, they were phenomenal people to work for, uh, work alongside. Some of my, my best friends in the industry have come from there. Uh, 
you know, still maintain a lot of very close relationships with a lot of those folks there. As I said, I was on the boats with them for three years. Uh, and then I was offered the opportunity uh, to come shoreside as a port captain for them. And, uh, you know, so I was uh, at that point, I was engaged. We were getting ready to get married a few months uh, after I wound up coming down shoreside. Uh, and, and so we moved my my now wife and I, we moved from New York down here to Houston. Uh, we settled in the uh, in the, originally in the Kima area, uh, you know, which is pretty much known for its uh, boardwalk and fun attractions. Uh, and then we wound up uh, living in League City, which is right next door to that for a number of years. We built a home uh, and uh, and we actually wound up moving up to a place called Nassau Bay, which is pretty much the home of the astronauts. So we are you make a right, you go into my subdivision, you make a left, you go into the Johnson Space Center. Uh, and so but anyways, that's, that's getting sidetracked from the professional development there. But anyways, my wife and I moved down and I was in the office from basically September of 2011, uh, until, uh, about mid May of, uh, of 2013. Uh, and we both Higman and I, you know, my, my immediate boss and I, we, we decided that this was not a move. Uh, this was not a position that at the time was, was fitting for me. Uh, and you know, I was, you know, 27 when I started in the office there. Uh, so I do think that there were some, some maturity issues and, you know, personal growth that still had to happen, uh, to be able to, to, to best do the job. Uh, you know, and, and so I came over to, uh, went to, went, wound up working for Buffalo Marine, uh, you know, on the boats for a while. And so I was with them for a little over two years, uh. And the, uh, the gentleman who had hired me on the boats at, at Buffalo had then left, had left not uh, about a couple months after I started there, he had left and went to Harley, uh, another bunker company, uh, that was you know, really working and getting a strong foothold in, in the Houston area. And he had called me in the early April of 15, uh, Ashley Marks had called me and uh, he's like, hey, I just got out of a coma. And I said, what do you mean? And he told me that he had a really bad uh, you know, infection and they actually had to knock him out for a couple months to let it cure and let his body heal. Uh, uh, and he's like, they're looking for another port captain over here. Um, are you interested? And I said, well, yeah, I'm definitely interested. And uh, turns out the general manager uh, was a fellow graduate of New York Maritime. Uh, 30 years before me, but, you know, the, the alumni network, uh, does, does, you know, ring, ring true and strong. Um, so I wound up working there, uh, from, uh, July, wound up, by the time we got everything settled, it was July of 15, uh, July of 15. And then they did their restructuring in October of 16, uh, a week before my second child was born. So that almost sent my wife into early labor. Uh, and, so after I attended to the, you know, to the, you know, the birth of my, my second child and got my wife all up to, you know, I got, got everyone taken care of and my in-laws were able to come down a couple of weeks later and, 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 and start helping. I then went and started doing some trip work for some local companies among them E squared, uh, uh, and whatnot, but, uh, tripped with, you know, did some trip work for a few months and, uh, the opportunity at enterprise opened up, uh, uh one of my former, when I was a port captain at Higman, one of my former captains that had worked for me uh, called me up and he was a port captain out of the Channel View office. And he said, hey, we're looking for someone. Uh, are, you, are you interested? And I said, yeah, I'll get my application in right away. And, uh, you know, three weeks later, I was hired. Well, I know, of course, in your time with Enterprise, you run the Patty, the Ryan and the Norman. Uh, fill me in before we get into the your time on those vessels on maybe some interesting stories uh of your time on the canals and maybe some storms coming through or anything that comes to mind from from 17 years oh, so so my my first hitch with Higman was I started in August of 2008 and started on the old Carl Andre which which was the Mark Flynn uh prior to that and this was a tiny boat 1800 horsepower but Again, like 65, 70 tons, very small boat. Uh, you know, had, she had some oomph in her, but no, no weight again. Uh, 
And during my first hitch, we're in Houston. We're in, we're in Boone's fleet and channel view in the empty fleet. And hurricane Ike is barreling down on us. And so that was kind of interesting. Uh, at the time they, uh, Higman had paid overtime, uh, for employees that were on the boats. If you needed to go past your, your 12 hours. Um, and so we were told like, look, once, once the port goes to condition, uh, x-ray and you guys need to start prepping unlimited overtime, just make sure everything is set and safe and, and roll with it. So we got everything, you know, squared away and the boat was ready to go. Um, and the relief captain uh, and I were on the boat and the head captain had gotten off a few days earlier. And, uh, uh, the relief captain's like, look, when the winds get to about 70 miles an hour, wake me up. So once the winds hit 70, I woke him up. We had the secondary generator brought online. Both main engines were brought online. Uh, and our wind gauge broke at 104. That's uh, where, our, where our, our, our wind gauge literally ripped, ripped right off the top of the boat. Just gone. Uh, I know some people had recorded some, some winds over 130, almost 140 miles an hour, just around the corner over at the Kirby fleet. Uh, and so we're, 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 we're getting barreled and, and beaten with all these, you know, all this wind. And I mean, even right there in old river, I mean, the, the sea state was miserable. Uh, when you have that much wind coming, it's, you know, it, it's going to make the water or even, even in that small area, it's going to make the water pretty rough. Uh, about the, yeah, just about five o'clock in the morning or so, four forty-five, five o'clock in the morning, the eye comes over us and I'd never been in a hurricane before, like a real hurricane. I mean, Bob, when I was a child and, uh, Floyd, uh, when I was in high school had come up through Long Island, but they were nothing by the time they got up to us. Uh, you know, I'd wrote out, you know, tons of blizzards and, and whatnot, nor what they call nor'easters, uh, but again, nothing, nothing on the water before, nothing like that. Uh, so I tell the guy, I said, Hey, the eye is here. It's calmed down. Let's double check everything outside. Make sure we're all good and tight again. Get everything secured. Guys come back inside. And three minutes later, the fire alarm's going off. So I run downstairs, because uh, nobody's coming upstairs. And I see that where the fault was is in the galley. So I run downstairs and I I can smell this, that, that acrid, uh, smell of electrical fire. Uh, so I grab the extinguisher on the second deck, get it ready. I come down into the galley, the relief captain and both tankermen are standing around the microwave. The microwave is sparking. The tankerman had accidentally put his fork in when he was trying to heat up his eggs and bacon. And they're just standing there watching this thing. It's like, guys, come on. Uh, so we, we wound up having to get a new microwave and all that, but you know, minor compared to the damage we saw the next couple of days as we got called over to our office in, uh, in, uh, up Carpenter's Bayou. Uh, and, uh, I don't know how familiar you are with Carpenter's. There's a, uh, there's a barge, uh, over by the ACL fleet that's up on the bank and it's, 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 it's on it. It's, it's angled like that. And, that barge had gotten pushed up there during Ike. Uh, I mean, nothing anyone could do about it. We, we, we were coming by and they asked us if we could help pull on it. So we helped for a good, I don't know, 30, 40 minutes. And it was, there was just no, no pull. That thing was, it was stuck and I, they had some lightering plan put together and so they got it all cleared out and all, but it's, it's a permanent fixture now. Uh, well, beyond that instance, uh, tell me a little bit about recovery from that hurricane. The next few days, maybe the next week or so. So, yeah. So uh, our, our office at the time was a couple of trailers strung together, uh, you know, right there uh, at, at, at SBS. Uh, you know, the, Higman was leasing space from Stolt. And uh, so it was us, the Matagorda, and I forget which other Higman vessel was there. Uh, they recalled all three of us to the office and they told us again, unlimited OT help clean up. You know, if you're not on, if you're not on watch, you can help. If you are on watch, you have to help. Um, and I mean, we were just mucking out the office. I mean, shovels and, uh, you know, pulling out old chairs and just everything that was damaged. Uh, I mean, the offices were a total loss. Uh, and, uh, 
I actually, I recovered, uh, recovered a coffee mug. It was this green, green coffee mug that had the MMI, the Maryland Marine Inc. Uh, logo on it. That, uh, that that's my number one mug, uh, to this day. Uh, but yeah, so we, uh, you know, we were pulling, just helping clear out the file cabinets and, uh, one of the, one of the guys from one of the other boats, he opened a drawer and there was a water moccasin in there. Uh, just some pretty crazy stuff. Uh, you know, and, and of course I was still living in New York at the time. So, uh, I was right. You know, I still had about a week left on my hitch. Uh, so by the time I, I was ready to go home, uh, and get off the boat, the airports was already, you know, hobby airport was already open and, uh, so for me, there really wasn't, you know, a personal impact down here uh, uh, and whatnot. But I do know a lot of folks who, you know, were on the boats and, you know, obviously had to get off to go and, and tend to their families and uh, and whatnot. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, you, you, you get down there and when they finally opened up the canal, uh, you know, I think it was about th- almost a month later, it was like three weeks, maybe even a full month after the storm had passed, you know, the. The, the canals were finally cleared all the way open and, and we headed outbound finally. And we're coming through Bolivar and there was a house that was on stilts and had been shifted from Bolivar Island from the, you know, from the peninsula itself and moved over uh, to that barrier Island on the North side of the canal. And it was placed down. And I don't know if someone was just being, you know, just, just playing a game or not, but if you looked in with your binoculars, you could actually see the, the, dinner table was still set properly windows were blown out doors ripped off uh but just amazing and if and if that that is true that it no one went and messed with anything it just really just shows the the amazing power of, of mother nature that she can rip a house from its moorings but leave the table perfectly set um you know and there was just but there was so much devastation and destruction and uh, you know, as you, as you know, for the weeks and months afterwards, uh, people cleaning up and, and the same after Harvey, uh, you know, we had crew change down in, uh, uh, down in Corpus a couple months after Harvey had passed through. And I mean, you'd get down, you know, coming down through, through the, the that area and, and there would be furniture and just trash piles on the medians, people trying to get stuff out of their homes so they can, you know, clear out the old damaged sheetrock and put the new stuff in and, and, you know, start to rebuild their lives. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's really uh, incredible what, what, you know, the storms can do in this area. Do any other maybe non-storm related incidents come to mind from your time over the years up until you reached Enterprise? Oh, let's see. Before Enterprise, no, uh, not really. I mean, it was pretty, uh, you know, for the most part, things were pretty much storm related and, uh, you know, the, the occasional elision here and there, uh, you know, that, that guys would have, uh, I mean, I did have, uh, my pilot when I first became relief captain, uh, you know, and this just goes to show that not all incidents are vessel incidents and, and whatnot, but, uh, he had gotten, uh, uh, some very bad news from his wife. Uh, she had, uh, cancer and this was, uh, you know, stage three or stage four. It was, it was pretty bad, uh, cancer. Uh, and we had just turned inbound the Houston ship channel and our, uh, this was maybe a week after Thanksgiving. And so he comes up to the wheelhouse and just is, is understandably a, a mess. Uh, and so we we got up into town as fast as humanly possible so he could get off to go home uh, and whatnot. But, uh, you know, and I actually wound up adjusting my my schedule that year so that way he had Christmas off because, you know, there was a, the, the, the very strong likelihood this was her last, you know, her last Christmas. And uh, I do believe she actually wound up beating the cancer, uh, you know, through 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 you know the the grace of modern medicine and and willpower she got through it and and whatnot but you know it's from a boat perspective you know in terms of you know incidents and crazy funny stuff uh nothing too crazy we did have a dog join our crew for a bit 
that was kind of cool. Uh, and uh, it was a uh, basset hound. And uh, he was, we were at a, we were at the cross text Jennings dock and this dog just walks on, walks onto the barge and the relief captain at the time, you know, befriended it. And then the dog got off the barge and we moved the barge, shift the barges around to reposition to, to continue loading it. You resume loading again. And before we're ready to leave, the dog comes back out. Uh, and he wound up taking the dog home. Jumping ahead to Enterprise, uh, fill me in on them. I don't know much about them. How long have they been around? Uh, how big is the company? How many boats and barges and, and anything like that? So and Enterprise Marine itself uh, is actually... Uh, the old Sinak, uh, the, the Sinak 1.0, I call it, uh, as, as Benny had, you know, done another round of, of boats and sold those to Kirby. So uh, Benny sold Sinak to uh, Tepco, uh, I want to say like 2009, 2010, something like that. And Tepco had also purchased Horizon. Uh, and, and so they merged those two organizations together. Uh, and TEPCO, uh, which is Enterprise uh, Enterprise Products, uh, is actually a very large oil and gas company, uh, pre predominantly natural gas pipeline, uh, oil storage, uh, and the overall corporation, I want to say is over 7,000 between the, the pipeline and all the docks and facilities and uh refinery stuff that they own plus the marine division the marine division itself uh i had to guess it's probably around 350 people uh you know it's not not terribly big uh 63 boats i think 64 boats uh, we haven't we haven't built anything new in a couple of years now uh but yeah an, an enterprise runs uh you know we, we run anywhere from brownsville to uh up the Escambia in, in Florida, and then of course on the Mississippi from you know head of pass all the way to Chicago. They uh, you know run to Bology and uh, you know Tentom and all that. So they they you know we we're pretty extensive uh, operation. Uh, you know, I'd say about probably forty forty to fifty percent of our fleet at any time is is you know in the in the Lake Charles and 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 west area um you know so we do have a heavy business over where we're at you mentioned you ran the patty first uh on a brownsville run uh, a few previous guests have been on that run and it's either it seems to be either a love-hate relationship uh <laughs> all the way down to brownsville tell me about that run any, any good or bad memories from it and uh maybe a touch on the, the locks you have to go through so uh when I when the when that when I had the patty, we did a couple of years of just general uh, work. You know, we didn't, we didn't go to Brownsville. They they sent us to Harlingen a couple of times when a larger boat was supposed to go, but they didn't want to send the bigger boat uh, for you know obvious reasons: too deep a draft, uh, too long, things like that. And uh, and so they finally uh, got a contract uh, for us running two uh, thirties down there, and they wanted the bow thruster. And Enterprise actually has an old style sidewinder bow thruster. Uh, it's all run with air. You know, most bow thrusters these days are having a, a, a an electronic remote control in the wheelhouse. Uh, and the engine is, uh, and the throttles and all that are run electrically, you know, through that. Uh, this is a traditional sidewinder and it had 700 foot of air hose running from a throttle in the wheelhouse all the way down to the bow thruster. Um, and so... To me, it was a cakewalk. We had a bow thruster, sixteen hundred horsepower, uh, you know, two thirties loaded or empty with the with that. Uh, and so I enjoyed the run. I really love running down to Brownsville, and even without a bow thruster, I like running down to Brownsville. Uh, the locks. Now, most companies have a policy that when you get to Colorado, and especially for Brazos, that you break down your toe, uh, you know, one barge at a time. You know, for some of the ones that push six packs, they might, they might take, you know, uh, two barges through at a time, uh, you know, you know, no, no, but no longer than 400 feet, unless you've got, unless you got a bow thruster. Um, and so in the beginning, we were just taking one barge at a time with the bow piece. And then eventually they, 
we looked at it and said, well, I mean, we've got this bow thruster. We have control. And so we agreed that certain conditions we can run with the bow thruster and 230s go on through, loaded or empty. Once river conditions exceeded a certain point, scale it back, you know. So we did that, uh, you know, and the locks were pretty, you know, at that point, very easy for us to do. Uh, zip, zip right on through. You didn't have to tie off, uh, uh, you know, to, to buoys and, and whatnot or wait your turn. You know, you still had maybe, maybe wait for them to bring you in, but you didn't have to wait for a spot on the moorings to break down. And so while some people might experience a delay of a day or two, once you're in range, they say, all right, just come on through. You know, and so you're, you're not taking four or five hours to break down, get through, rebuild, plus you're any wait time. You're just, just go on. And uh, so we were able to zip right on through a lot of times and, uh, you know, handle, handle a lot of uh, the obstacles, uh, you know, pretty, pretty easily. Uh, you know, we'd have 35, 40 mile an hour winds broadside down there uh, running through, uh, you know, the open areas of Laguna Madre. Uh, and we were stretched out but having that bow thruster and, you know, it's weight and power we'd hold up just fine. And, you know, then we get to a good safe spot and then we just kind of let conditions kind of ease up from there. But, uh, you know, but it's, it, when we first started running down there, you might, you might see one or two boats. Uh, and then after about a year or so, it started getting a little busier and, uh, you know, as, as the port of Brownsville was, was, you know, building itself up uh, again and uh, they'd built some, you know, new docks and, uh, you know, op opened up, you know, they that opened themselves up for better business. And then Harlingen, uh, of course, you know, has uh, a, a, f a facility all the way up the Arroyo Colorado inside the port there that has become, uh, you know, that's always busy uh, before you might see a boat up there once in a while. And now it's, it's, it's pretty steady up there. Um, and, and, you know, so that run, you know, you're seeing more boats now and there's a little more traffic, but it's still relatively quiet, especially when you compare it to uh, running into Corpus or between Houston and Beaumont. Do you have any horror stories about Matagorda Bay or maybe that you've been a part of or that at least you've witnessed? Oh, <laughs> we're pushing one barge. I was, uh, I had just been cut loose. And I've got horror stories of, of, of both ways. And we had a trip pilot on the boat and I get up to, uh, I've been cut loose maybe four or five months at this point. I was, I was no longer on the Marshall Inn. Uh, and this is when they started bouncing me boat to boat. Uh, and come to find out we had passed up everybody over there by the, uh, uh, the Matagorda moorings, uh, and started out Well, everyone was waiting because they were anticipating fog. I had never been that way before at this point. And I get upstairs and with this trip guy on the boat and he saw me and he hauled it. He got out of that chair so fast. I didn't say I got you. I, my eyes hadn't even adjusted to the dark yet. I literally set foot in the wheelhouse and he bolted. Luckily the tankerman had a lot of stick time running down that way. So I called him up to the wheelhouse uh, and, you know, we figured out exactly where we were uh, based on the light characteristics of, of some flashing lights that we were able to pick out. Uh, the chart plotter uh, wasn't, wasn't really very good. Uh, wasn't very detailed, but uh, yeah, we, we fumbled our way through uh Turns out we were over there by Palacios, so we still had to make get up there, make the dog leg, go across the uh, the intersection, which I had no I had no clue what the intersection was going to do to me because I didn't know anything about the area. Uh, we were empty, so it wasn't that big a deal. But we got through there, got into Port O'Connor, which shut out fog. I, I knew I couldn't stop because I knew there was stuff on both sides, and 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 that wasn't safe to to stop until I got you know, past the Air Force Channel and I was able to layer on the bank uh, and whatnot. And, uh, and then on our way back, uh, a front hit. And I come up to the wheelhouse and we had just started out. We were, we were just made our turn uh, out from Port O'Connor to go up towards the intersection. And we're getting tossed around 
like a rag doll. And uh, I'm like, what, what, what's going on? Like, what are we doing out here? And it was, you had to have at least three footers out there. Uh, and the wheelman's like, well, we got to go. We got to go. I'm like, I'm turning, I'm taking over in, in a couple minutes. I'm turning this thing back. So this, this is not cool. And uh, luckily we didn't bust any face. We didn't bust our face ropes, but we did bust one of our jockeys uh, and uh, you know, one of our hold down wires. We did bust that, uh, you know, but that was before we actually turned. So we were still, still in it, you know, right before I took over, we busted that jockey, but I, I wound up turning around and went back in and we had to wait like two days for things to calm down. But I was just, that had me, that had me scared. Cause I wasn't, I wasn't used to getting tossed around like that on a, on a push boat. Well, fill me in uh, on your time on the paddy. And then of course the transition over to the, the Orion. So, yeah. So I was on the paddy for five, literally five years to the day, November 1st of 2017 to October 31st of 22. Uh and good boat, loved that boat to death. Uh, you know, small boat, but you know, it was home, it was comfortable, uh, did everything we needed it to do. Uh, you know, I had, uh, you know, became a, one of the, uh, the, one of our DEs, uh, which I've been training guys at other companies uh, prior to that, but I got on our, on our list at Enterprise and they would send me steersmen to, to train and, uh, and whatnot. And, and to me, I feel that learning on a bigger boat is great. It's, it's, it's good to learn that, but you're going to get your best education on the small stuff. Learn how to handle the toe with less horsepower, less weight. Uh, you know, when you get to a bigger vessel, you're going to learn, you're going to learn better. You're going to learn more, obviously, but build those skills while you're on the small stuff. Uh, and so I love boat handling. Uh, and so the boat handling challenges of a small boat versus these nice, you know, bigger boats, uh, you know, is definitely, it's, it's different, uh, but it's, it's a challenge. That's what I enjoy. Uh, so anyways, I'm on the paddy for five years uh, and uh, port captain called and said, Hey, we're, uh, we're looking at, uh, you know, at our, at our list here. And are you still interested in going to a bigger boat? And I said, yeah. I said, well, we've got the Ryan available. I said, okay, uh, I'm, I'm interested. He's like, all right, well, it's yours. It's like, okay, cool. And it took a couple of weeks to get the transition done and whatnot. And we got on the Ryan and, uh, you know, the, the, the captain that had, had the boat prior to me, uh, he had, he had kept that boat in top shape. I mean, I, I was fortunate. I mean, the Patty being a much older boat to begin with, uh, you know, older boats have older boat problems and, you know, sometimes it doesn't matter how much a crew does for a boat. It can only, it can only look so good uh, just because it's old. It's, you know, you're, you're constantly fighting rust problems or, you know, there, there's always something that on an older boat that, you know, you're fighting through that boat's personality. Uh, you know, and we got the paddy work looking very good. It was in good shape, uh, you know, especially for one of the older boats that we had in the fleet. Uh, but when I got on the Ryan, it was, this boat that was just left in, in beautiful condition. Uh, and you know, I brought my whole crew over with me, except my, for, except for my relief captain and his tankerman. Uh, and they offered him a uh, captain on the paddy. So he moved into a captain's position on that boat. Uh, and I had actually finished up his steersman training. Uh, and so I, I moved him from steersman to pilot, moved him from pilot to relief and then relief to head captain. Uh, and, and, and whatnot, but, uh, so we get on the Ryan, they put us on a different run. So now we're running, you know, Houston, uh, Lake Charles, some corpus here and there in the beginning. Uh, and then they put us on a sea river contract and we were running pretty much Houston, Beaumont and, uh, uh, Baton Rouge with the occasional trip down to, uh, New Orleans, uh, with as low as the river's been, uh, that made it very interesting because we went from this extreme high to an extreme low it felt like overnight. Uh, you know, and then you know, kept saying, you know, kept looking at us like, how low can we go? Uh, but yeah, so that, that boat was, uh, you know, 2000 horsepower rated, but felt, she felt stronger than 2000. Uh, 
a lot more weight than the Patty, uh, a lot more room, more comfortable. Uh, it was a very nice upgrade over what I had. Uh, and then I get a call back in September of this year. And my poor captain's like, Hey, the uh, captain on the Norman, he's been on that run for a few years now. He's looking for a change in pace and scenery. You live in the area. So it makes sense. Are you interested? And I'm like, yeah, let's go for it. Uh, it's a new challenge. Uh, you know, the boat's 103 feet long bumper to bumper, uh, 3,200 horsepower. So significant increase in, in power. So there's a whole new handling aspect there where you need to learn to not use your power. Uh, you know, bump it in clutch, let it go, knock it out, let it coast for a bit and then bump it again. Uh, and, and things. And then of course the bridges. Uh, so the Norman being a retractable wheelhouse boat, uh, we drop below the I-10 bridge and the Channel View Railroad bridge, uh, you know, and go up to Lyondale, uh, Equistar, uh, you know, up there and, uh, coming up with a load or coming down with a load. That's easy. You know, you got great side angles, the first few times we did it with an empty, that was nerve wracking because you retract all the way down and all you see is the stern of the barge. Uh, and you see only the stern of the barge until you're, we have a good camera system that's been set up, but it still takes some time before the uh, bridge piers come into view. And, uh, uh, you know, so you are relying on the men that you have out there on the head of the toe to be as accurate as possible. Uh, and, and I, I have a fantastic crew, uh, you know, they, they know how I like things and, and they know, communicate, communicate, communicate. Uh, and, and so I don't really have to push them to say, Hey, you know, I need to know what this is. They know to tell me, uh, you know, through years of, of experience. How many barges at a time do you have going through there? We, we only take one through at a time. Yeah. Uh, now we may wind up having multiple barges on dock, but we'll, we'll trip them up. Uh, but the dock doesn't do anything doubled up. So, you know, they might bring a pie gas barge up and they might need a methanol barge uh, up there. And so you're just kind of, you know, you, you, you bring them up there as, as they need them. Uh, I think the most I've had up there at one time so far is three. Uh, you know, so you, you bring them all up in, 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 in quick order. And then of course they all finish up around the same time. So you got to shuffle them all down. So when you do have three up there, are they all on dock simultaneously? So sometimes they can be. Uh, there is a standby dock up there, but that's uh, usually they don't call a barge up until they're actually ready to work it uh, or they're ready for at least to be ready to work, you know, first thing the next morning or something like that. But, uh, you know, but we, you know, so we don't usually bring a barge up just to just to stash it. And as far as running the Norman, that's all local Houston Harbor runs. Yeah, for for the most part, we we have uh, had to make a couple runs to uh, Beaumont and back. Uh, you know, wound up just being one of the only boats that was available to go load a barge over there, and and you know we had to we had to trip a couple of barges over there once to swap swap a tow out with someone, and we were just the only horsepower available. Uh, yes, yeah, so you make you can make that run pretty quick. Real quick, before we wrap up here, tell me a little bit about your time on the Ryan. Anything interesting happened uh, on the way to or from New Orleans? And uh, how is it running through Homa? So running through Homa, uh, it's, it, it, can be, uh, it can be a challenge, uh, you know, depending on what the tide's doing and if you have empties and if there's any kind of wind. Uh, it's narrow. It's, uh, you got some pretty tight turns. And if you have a boat that'll slide, then, you know, you need to plan accordingly, uh, to break that slide or not, not generate as much, uh, you know, the way it used to be before everyone had the AIS overlays, uh, on their, on their chart plotters, you know, the Captain Voyager and the, and the Rose Point now, uh, you used to say, oh, I'm, I'm eastbound, uh, you know, and I'm starting starting to line up on the bridge. Meanwhile, you're four miles back, or especially guys westbound. Oh yeah, I'm starting through Sinak Bend now. Meanwhile, they they hadn't even gotten to Prospect Bridge. Once people were starting to see that, you know, and, and they would get the overlays on those charts, uh, and you could actually see where somebody was. They'd say, "Oh, uh, I'm I'm starting through Sinak Bend." 
no, no, you're not. You're, you're, you're a mile from prospect, dude. Like I'm coming. Uh, you know, so it's, it's, it's changed a lot. Uh, and there used to be, uh, uh, some small boats that would say, Oh yeah, cap, we'll, we'll meet you in between the bridges. And you would think, okay, well, you're going to meet in that spot where you have the home of twins and uh, the old uh, railroad bridge. You know, that's it's a couple of spots where you can meet some smaller, smaller vessels there. And yeah, most of the time you'd meet there, but sometimes some of these small boats, when they say I want to meet you in between the bridges, they're trying to get in the twins with you and there's just not enough room. Uh, so it can get a little hair raising sometimes uh, coming through there. Uh, you know, definitely, definitely have had to regroup uh, on more than one occasion because of the wind and, uh, and slide and whatnot. Uh, and then uh, my time on the Ryan, for the most part, pretty uneventful, uh, you know, and, and that's, it's kind of how I like it. I like things to be nice and quiet, uh, you know, uh, you know, no, no incidents really, no, uh, you know, no, no, no crazy stories. Uh, you know, I, I trained a pilot or trained uh, my steersman all the way up to pilot on there. Uh, you know, so I had a, a guy that took it just, I think the most interesting thing was that it took five months for his license to come back from once it was submitted. Uh, that's probably the most, the most interesting thing that happened to us on the Ryan. Uh, otherwise we just, Went, we did our job, kept out of trouble, and uh, you know, no, no COVID outbreaks on us. Nothing, nothing crazy. A quiet hitch is a good hitch, Cap. I do yes, thank you is. for fitting me in today, here, man. Hey, well, I appreciate your time. Yeah, this one will premiere uh, in early January, and we'll, we'll keep in touch with you. Okay, sounds great. Yeah, and just you know, feel free to edit down whatever you need to make it. No worries. Make it flow. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Cap. All right. Have a good weekend. Thank you. You too. This has been a production of Where You At Studios, LLC.